Well, look, you can't say this because it's your show, but I can say something really controversial here because I've talked about that kind of approach before. The reason I love podcasting in comparison to other types of media is that it's so authentic, right? It's like going down the rabbit hole, have the conversation and see where it goes. Learn modern marketing that you can use to grow your business in today's competitive landscape. This is Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. Welcome to Digital Marketing Masters. My guest today is Phil Paluccia, and we're here to talk about World 2.1. Phil, how are you? I'm good, thanks, brother. Yeah, how are you? I am doing well. Phil Paluccia from Billionaires and Boxers, and also... Phil and I had a conversation back in April 28th of 2020, and we were talking about World 2.0. So now we're talking about World 2.1 because there's been a few upgrades, I guess, since then. Uh, We'll call it upgrades for now. Phil, why don't you give everybody kind of just a quick once over on what you do and then and then we'll start talking about predictions for the future here. Yeah, sure thing. Thank you for it's nice to be back. I mean, it sounds like our World 2.0 conversation went down well. So there have been some, let's call them upgrades. Let's remain positive. There's been some upgrades since then. So yeah, let's dive into it. So I'm Phil Paluccia. I'm the founder of Billionaires in Boxes. We're an entrepreneur broadcast network, which is a, a pretty much a fancy way of saying that we take businesses and find businesses who good at what they do, but they need more people to know, like, and trust them. And we help them to put the spotlight on them for all the right reasons while creating an abundance of great network, great contacts and great content. So that's what we do. Perfect. And we talked a lot last time about kind of the way that business in general has been changing and how, you know, things that are going to happen that we talked about on that episode happened. And and we we're actually pretty accurate. I went back and I, I listened to some of it again just yesterday. And I was like, man, I hope there was a lot of people who listened to that and took our advice to heart because it could have saved a lot of businesses, especially some of the stuff about, you know, what's going to happen with restaurants, not being able to have dine in for, you know, who knows the foreseeable future. And at that time, restaurants were like, yeah, it'll be a couple of weeks. And we'll be open again. And we'll know? be fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We'll be fine. So you got an upgrade also. You got some COVID antibodies, I heard. I did, yeah. So I got <laughs> I got sick in sort of May, June time. And I've been one of these poor, unfortunate people who caught, uh, I nearly swore there, who caught uh, long COVID. So it's kind of been rattling around my immune system, causing some damage ever since. Definitely on the mend. Definitely on the mend. I'm the right side of the peak now and and I'm on the way, but it's been a good, well, I was going to say it's been a good six, seven months. It's not, it's been a really draining six, seven months, but you know, it's what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. I had to put my money where my mouth was with a lot of the things that I teach within my business. I had to do within my own business and some handling of the crisis and, and did take a lot of my own advice from, from the last show, for example. And yet, do you know what? As a result, we grew businesses in going in the right direction. Everybody's happy. I still have the people in my team who are absolutely flying and take the ownership. I've lost a couple of people along the way who weren't ready to step up and made that pretty clear. And yeah, you know, all in all, I'd say that COVID is probably the best thing that ever happened to me because it forced me to learn to delegate better and stop being such a control freak. And I think when you build a business, I think lots of people can relate to this. When you build a business and it's so intrinsically linked to your personal brand and your business brand, it's very difficult to kind of have anything happening under that brand name that doesn't have oversight from you that you're not touching because you don't want some, you know, how long does it take to build a good reputation, but it only takes seconds to lose one. So if somebody acts on your behalf and it's not in a way that you would want to, so it's a, the whole paranoia thing, but what I've been really proud of, I've got, I have to be honest is my team really stepped up and really impressed me. And, and I'm, I'm eternally grateful for them for that. There were times when I was thinking, okay, I'm not well enough. I've still got a fever. I feel like someone's crushing my chest, but I'm going to have to go back to work because God knows what's happening when I'm not there, only to find that actually they were doing a really good job. They were absolutely flying. They were they were fine. They'd stepped up, and actually it was working better than it was when it was just me because now I had six, seven, eight people who were all stepping up and absolutely smashing out of the park rather than me being like roadrunner and just trying to get around everything. Yeah, I mean, we had a little bit of shakeup too, and 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 we made a little bit of staff changes and some structure changes to our business, and man, all for the better. Our clients are happier, our staffs happier, 
we get more done and work less. And, I, and I've, I've heard a lot of businesses that way, but, you know, luckily we're remote businesses, both of us, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Just don't have an office. We don't have an office, right? And a lot of people aren't as lucky when they have physical businesses, right? I think one thing that we had talked about before that's that's a little bit related to that was that in, in both the UK and the United States, there seemed to be a lot of people who weren't taking it very seriously that, you know, in the public who were saying, you know, well, this is something that old people get, right? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you're not very old. I'm, I'm older than you, right? So yeah, I'm not that old. I mean, you know, people in the both the UK and the US at the time back in April, they were saying, well, you know, this is something that people get when they're in their 70s and 80s and 90s, right? Not at all. And yeah, it turns out anyone can get it. Mm hmm. And in fact, the, 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 I think there was a statistic the other day that was done by, it was somewhere over here. It was like our UK health authority basically worked out that over 85% of people who currently do have long COVID, which they class as symptoms longer than uh, 12 weeks, 85% of those are between 30 and 45 years old. So that's the complete different age demographic to the one that we were told, you know, was supposed to be struggling with this. And for the rest of us, it'll feel like a cold or the flu. Well, look, I'm going to tell you. Yeah, I'm going to sound very unfortunate when I do. Now, I caught swine flu back in 2009, whatever it was, 2010. I was flying back from Belgium from an event on this little plane, and I started to feel just a bit dodgy. And I thought, maybe I'll pick something up at the event. Maybe it's a bit of a stomach bug. I spent the next six days in my house asleep, but I slept on the floor because I fell out of bed and didn't have the energy to get back into bed. So I just dragged my quilt down, wrapped myself in it and slept on the floor. Honestly, it was horrific, but it wasn't a patch on this. This is by far the worst thing that I have experienced. So, you know, from from my perspective, you know, I understand why people think it's a hoax. I understand why people don't trust mainstream media. But as somebody who's been through this illness, even if you just want to think of this from a selfish perspective, I don't want you or your family or your friends having to go through this because it seriously sucks. Yeah, and that's understandable. I was we just had an episode come out a couple of days ago. And uh, the lady that we interviewed had had COVID and she was hospitalized for a couple of days. And then six weeks it took her to kind of get out. And her voice is still a little rough from it, right? I can believe it. I can so believe it. I mean, I, thankfully, I, w I didn't require hospitalized treatment at the beginning. I'll tell you what did happen, though. About August time, so this is probably about three months after having got it, I started to have this really horrific pain in my chest. I mean, it had been there as, a, as an ache all the way through COVID, kind of between my left nipple and my armpit. Like it's that kind of gland area there. And my God, was it sore. But then suddenly it would start like feeling like I'd been stabbed in it and the whole side of my chest had like clamp up. So in August, I ended up in hospital twice with a suspected heart attack until they put the ECG on me only to realize it's not my heart. What was happening was the muscles in that whole area and the muscles in between the rib cages were inflamed and infected and were going into spasm, which was causing like heart attack like symptoms. And I'm telling you, I was, I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified. And it took a long time to get rid of that. And I've literally just earlier today, I've just got back from my latest osteopath appointment where they were doing the lymphatic drainage massage and manipulation to try and keep it moving. Because that's the only thing that feels like it's helping at the moment. Honestly, people, please take it seriously. And, and, and you know, it wasn't, I, I feel kind of bad because it wasn't like I wasn't taking it seriously. I guess the only downside that I had was... I was at the last Liverpool game, which was the last Champions League game that fans were allowed at. And we were playing against Atletico Madrid. And the Madrid fans had been allowed to kind of roam around the city and come into the stadium. And there was a few thousand of them. But Madrid had been in lockdown for two days by this point because of coronavirus. So why were they allowed to travel? <laughs> and, and, just, and just knock about our city and, and we weren't wearing masks and stuff then nobody nobody knew anything about this in kind of March time it was this was a problem overseas this is like a bowler all over again it was something that happened to somebody else somewhere else in the world it's going to be the odd couple of people here and it's not going to be a problem well we were completely wrong have egg on our faces but people seriously need to start taking it more seriously even as i said even just from a selfish perspective don't care about your neighbor then i don't care if you're selfish you, you do your own thing but wear a mask so that you don't get sick yeah there was uh, a report and i don't know if that's the specific game but they had said that they had tracked like thousands of cases around the uk for that one sporting event that would not surprise me 
it's kind of like the Sturgis rally they had in the United States. They were able to track the spread from this motorcycle rally that everybody went to that had a bunch of concerts and stuff. And then everybody drove their motorcycles back to each part of the country. And uh, apparently there was some spreading from that event. Around 2008, something like that, 2009, Liverpool actually bought Atletico Madrid's captain. So ever since then, the two clubs have been quite close because we kind of feel like we've got some affiliation. We've we've had a number of players now, mainly coming in their direction to us, if I'm completely honest, but we have had a couple go the other way as well. And because of that, there's a special relationship between the two clubs. So the police didn't even bother separating anybody. There was no cordons. There was no police guidance. They were just free to mix with us in the pubs and in the streets and in the shops. And why not, right? Because we all get on. They're not going to hurt us. They're our friends. Little did we know they were carrying a virus. (laughs) Right. Well, man, you know, I remember when, you know, Ebola had started and I was like, oh, my God, like if this thing gets out. It's, it will be an unmitigated disaster. And I mean, now you're looking at what happened with COVID, right? I mean, in the United States, I just moved from outside of Portland, Oregon, to a small town in southwestern Nova Scotia, Canada. Because there's cold and then there's really cold. <laughs> well, this is, I mean, it's generally not that cold here, but... Really? I always kind of imagined that'd be pretty chilly up there. Well, I kind of, depends on what you think is cold. Like, it's minus eight today. Yeah, that's cold, dude. Yeah, that's pretty cold. That's yeah. cold. Yeah, but I used to live in Calgary, where it got to be minus forty. So yeah, that's really cold. That's really cold, right? That's like I don't like myself. Kind of cold. <laughs> like, why do we still live here? Kind of cold. When I was a kid, and we used to walk to high school, and it would be—you could tell if it gets below about minus thirty-five because you can spit, and it freezes and bounces before it hits the sidewalk. No, <laughs> that's crazy. I don't think I've ever been that cold in my whole life. And I, to be honest, I really hope I never am. <laughs> you know what? Here's a funny story, totally unrelated to anything we're talking about. But this is the last time I had a fast food milkshake in my entire life. Okay. And the reason was I had one and I set it down outside and it was like minus 40 overnight. And I walked back to school the next day and it was still there. And I was like, oh, my cup must be frozen to the table or whatever. Right. Yeah. And I went to grab it and you can still stir it. <laughs> Because it was like antifreeze. Oh, no. And I'm like, I am never going to drink one of these things again as long as I live. Just shows you what you put it inside yourself, doesn't it? That's right. And you know what? This is kind of related because people will drink all these fast food milkshakes and shit of who knows what's in it. And then a vaccine comes out and they're like, I don't know what's in that. I'm not getting putting that in my body. And I'm like, you've been shoving McDonald's hamburgers in your mouth for 30 years. <laughs> Somebody said that joke once. Somebody said the healthiest thing to eat for when you give get your kids a McDonald's is the toy from the Happy Meal. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably BPA free. So. Yeah, exactly. Actually, well, just on the Ebola thing, because it's a... Uh, there's not many funny things about Ebola, but it's an opportunity for anybody who's listening from either side of the pond, actually, to to see the difference between the UK and the US coverage of events. Go on to YouTube and check out Russell Howard Ebola, right? He's a British comedian, but he does a stand-up sketch exactly on this where he shows video from the two. And it's like, you go to the UK and it's like very calm, very collective, very measured. You know, there's a problem in East Africa, we're sending resources to help, and our doctors believe that we are fully covered uh, in case this breaks out here. You know, we are in safe hands. You can relax, that kind of attitude. Then you go across the pond, and it's like, we are on a red alert this evening as Ebola makes it to the United States. Like, we're all going to die. 80 new cases, and it's like, could your neighbor have Ebola? And it's like, what is going on? <laughs> well, it's funny because, like, the entire section of Nova Scotia that I live in now has about the same population as the town I lived in in the United States. And the town I lived in the United States has somewhere in the neighborhood of 3,600 COVID cases. And the town I live in now has one. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, and there's this movie. Do you remember a movie called Outbreak? I do. All right. So there's a scene in this movie outbreak where they're showing like the projections of if it gets out of the town. They've got this giant screen with a map of North America and it just shows it turning red and red all over the whole map. But it stops at the Canadian border. And I was like, there's no way. Like, obviously, they just did that because they didn't want to put Canada on the map or whatever. I was always pissed off. But it turns out it's because Canada actually stopped the virus. (laughs) 
Yeah. I love it. So the movie was super accurate. Well, it's like it's like New Zealand, isn't it? You know, you look at we we, we 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 both I'm sure had this conversation with Brenton over at Halftime Orange, but like the New Zealand dealt with it in, incredibly well. I mean, they're they're almost back to normal. I mean, obviously it's it's a new normal because the old normal is gone. But I was watching even as much as a month or two ago, a full stadium, their national stadium for rugby, full of fans, all being able to be next to each other. And it's like, we aren't, we've just got to the point that we're allowed 2,000 fans into the stadium. Yeah, in the US, they're like, you can't even have more more than six people in your house for like Christmas. Oh, you're still at that stage. That's not nice. You know, they're, well, it's terrible in the United States now. It's spreading completely out of control. Like every day is the deadliest day in the United States. Well, see, there's, there's two things I'd say to that. Number one, the news like to make that even worse because they, you know what they're like, they, they, they scare people with it, don't they? Yeah. That said, and I, I, I don't typically criticize other people, but laying sick on the sofa wearing a dressing gown, feeling really sorry for myself, feeling like someone's broken several of my ribs at the same time, watching people chant through Walmart that they won't wear a mask because of government oppression. Uh, those, those people are idiots to me. I'm really sorry. But I mean, in fact, they make me go a bit Darwinial. It's a bit like maybe we should just let them go and hang out together in a big field somewhere. <laughs> well, that's what I said. I'm like, that's a problem that's going to solve itself eventually, right? But you know what? The downside to that is the, the stress and strain that that puts on the emergency services, for example. And, you know, so you what, what ends up sort of almost being a sad situation is you're trying to care for people who really aren't trying to care for themselves and that kind of feels counterproductive it's like well why am i bothering to try and save you and make sure that you don't catch this stupid illness if you're just prepared to walk around like nothing's going on yeah i totally could not be one of those medical people i I would just like if somebody was like how can i be sick this is a hoax and i'm like you're right it's a hoax and i'd just leave yeah go home then (laughs) you don't need us then do you all right see ya you know Go get a hotel room, quarantine. People with COVID describing it as, you know, like trying to breathe through a drinking straw for several weeks or months at a time, and people are calling it a hoax. I mean, it's – and that, that's not to mention the death rates. I mean, I'm just talking about long COVID because I have it, but look at look at the death rates. I mean, I, I, I've got to be honest. I deliberately try not to. The news is a depressing place, so I try not to watch very much of it, if any at all. You know, but you you can't help but hear things. And when the vaccine came out and I wanted to hear the news about that and all this sort of stuff. So, I mean, there's a change since we last spoke. We now have a vaccine or several, actually, which I think is important because it gives people the sense of normality. Although how you go about vaccinating seven billion people, I have no idea. Well, I mean, that's the thing is you really you don't even really need to. You only need to vaccinate the places where it's really bad and you know, everybody else can still stop the spread like New Zealand did. Just shut down, quarantine, masks. Man, people are sure scared of vaccines now, though, which is another, you know, whole thing. Yeah, but see, again, people are idiots because people people are talking about like, oh, Bill Gates is going to put a microchip in my vaccine. So he's going to be able to see everywhere I go. And it's like, what? And they can't see a cell phone that is constantly attached to your hand. Genius. Right. They're posting it in, with their phone that's tracking them everywhere they go. While their smart TV is listening to them and their Alexa and their Google Voice and their every other device they have and their Fitbit tracker. And while they're still telling their friends and loved ones, hey, listen, you'll never believe this coincidence. You know, we were talking about that band yesterday. Well, now I'm being advertised tickets to their event. How what a weird coincidence. What a coincidence. They're like, <laughs> Facebook must be listening to me. And then they're like, I'm not taking that vaccine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm like, like, well, they need to just sell them vaccines. I mean, look, I, I like the voice aspect of how far it can reach for marketing. But I have to be honest, like all of these people buying like Echo Dots and Alexa and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, you're, you're just bugging your own house. Like you're paying to bug your own house. It's true. But, you know, so. There's some understanding of the technology behind those things that I have. You know, I've, I've, I've done programming on those devices. And, you know, I, I honestly, I think the benefit for me of them outweighs the risk of somebody trying to sell me something I already want. Well, it depends how they use the data, though. That's the scary thing is that whilst there are still not 
the correct regulations, I would say, when it comes to how you manage social media data and how you obtain data kind of obtained in that way. Because that's a lot of data points, a lot of information. I mean, we've seen how our Facebook accounts alone can manipulate people's political opinions and persuasions and how they feel about certain subjects when it comes to an election. Can you imagine if your Alexa started doing that and the recommended podcast was to get you just a bit more right wing than you were yesterday? Well, I think it it's almost there. So if you take a company like Apple, right, or Google, they've already got the data. They've already got the audio from all the podcasts. They're already analyzing and basically transcribing for search because otherwise you couldn't search the text of a you couldn't search the voice of a podcast from text if they hadn't already transcribed it. There is no reason to think that they are not combining the data that they have with the podcast data that they have to suggest things to you. I'm sure they are. I mean, if they didn't, they're working on it. And if they're not, they're stupid. Oh, no, they're definitely working on it. Because the, the one thing they don't miss is a trick to be able to sell us stuff. Right. And how long is it going to be before they start putting their own advertisements into podcasts? Oh, it's not going to be long at all. In fact, in many platforms, it's already happening. Right. And so they'll be able to put basically just like a YouTube, right? You know, if you want to be on Google Podcasts, you'll have to agree to the terms for Google to put ads into your podcast, whether you have ads or not. And pretty soon they'll be telling you which ads you can and can't put in it. And, but, you know, luckily there's, you know, there's, there's a lot more players in the game than Google when it comes to podcasts. So I think that's going to be helpful. Me too. It's still pretty early days as well. I mean, it's kind of like the early days of Facebook. We know where it's going to go, but while some people are already doing that, there's still a lot of mileage in this in terms of growth and organic growth and sales and reputation building and content generation. I mean, ultimately, it's a you know, people, the, the perception thing is really important in business. It's like people find it very difficult to tell the difference between you having the number one podcast at what you do and you being the number one at what you do. So if you can get out there and build these relationships and have these networks and have these conversations and create this content, claiming the, that prime digital real estate, claiming that number one spot, it doesn't matter if in five to 10 years time, the whole market is now commercialized and everyone's having to pay to enter because you've already claimed your seat. You're already at the top table. Right. And I think, you know, it's the same idea as with a lot of things in business. You know, it's the when's the best time to plant a tree. And, uh, you know, it's it's well, it's 20 years ago. Right. In, in, in podcasting, it's it's two or three years ago. <laughs> and, and the second best time is right now. Absolutely. And, and you know what? Each day it gets easier and easier as well. I mean, I've been podcasting now for 12 years, over 10,000 hours of podcast. And honestly, it's night and day between the way it was at the beginning. I mean, like even this platform we're recording on right now, it's going to give you two separate audio tracks that you can edit and whatever. When we were first recording, we were recording on on, on Skype. Right. And we were all on Skype and people would drop out halfway through. It was one solid audio track all the way through. You'd have several people talking over each other. There was always that one dude whose microphone's rubbing against his beard and the other guy's breathing like Darth Vader down the mic because he's got headphones on so he can't hear how loud he's breathing. And even when you'd invite guests, I mean, like, I think I've said this before, but you'd invite guests onto the show and it'd be like you're inviting them in for a police interrogation. It was like, who are you? Why do you want to know this? Why are you asking me this? What, what are you going to do with this information? Whereas now, like nine out of every 10 people you ask are going to go, yeah, sure, I'm up for that. And the ones that don't usually say, it's not my thing, I'm kind of introvert, but I think you should speak to this person. I think the amount of information that people give away on podcasts is amazing because it's just like it's being able to have a conversation interview somebody you know just like you see an interview on like 60 minutes or something right on tv they used to get or whatever you know whatever the equivalent is in the uk right and and i think some of that seems to be starting to go away which is unfortunate i think a lot of people are getting on like this sort of like paid interview circuit that's basically like a replacement for the speaker circuit from before covid where they have a set speech that they give in a set spiel and they cannot stray from it and i really try to get people out of that when i'm when i'm interviewing them and some people they just like they freeze like a deer in the headlights right 
They're just like, well, look, you can't say this because it's your show, but I can say something really controversial here because I've talked about that kind of approach before. The reason I love podcasting in comparison to other types of media is that it's so authentic, right? It's like going down the rabbit hole, have the conversation and see where it goes. Let me give an example, right? Somebody who pitches to you on stage, they can be charming. They can read the audience. They can get the pits absolutely nailed on, right? But you've bought a product. You brought a service. What you've not bought is a person, okay? Now, if you were to get that same person onto a podcast, they find it very difficult because they know they their pitch and they know their talk and they know their spiel. But outside of that, either they're not really that interested in this, they're not as knowledgeable in this as, as they like to make out, they don't really have any additional opinions, they're not really a thought leader in the industry at all, they're just polished and good at speaking. Because what you'll often find is, a lot of people will be so happy just to go, let's do it, man. Let's just, let's just see where it takes us. Like, here's my background. Yeah. This is why I do this. And, and I always say to people, it's like after 12 years of podcasting, I couldn't play a character for this long. Like I'm, what am I like the world's best actor? Like this is, (laughs) this is me, you know, like this is, this is who I am. And some people are going to like that. And some people aren't going to like that, but both of those things are good for me because your vibe attracts your tribe. So people who gel with this are going to go, I like Phil. I want to work with Phil. And the people who don't like the sound of me don't work with me. And they're the customers that would have been a massive pain in my backside anyway, because we don't gel. So there's, there's only positives that come from having those types of organic, natural. I don't need to know the questions beforehand. I'm not giving you a script of what to ask me. Let's have a loose topic point and, and really just go for it. Yeah. And I mean, I've, I've done some interviews where, you know, they've kind of supplied some sample questions and I've, I've started ripping through those a little bit, right. Just to kind of get the conversation going. And then, you know, you can tell that there's no exposition after it or anything like they've kind of trained themselves on what those answers are. And then there's, there's, there's nothing else to talk about. And that's difficult. I mean, from an interview perspective, you're just like banging your head against the table, right? You're like, how can I get this person to, to break out a little bit? But on the other side, you get some people who are just fantastic where, you know, I have a list of questions. I tell them the first question and then they start answering it and we talk about something else. And we never go back to the other questions at all. Right. hundred percent. I, I usually finish most of my shows with at least half the questions left that I wanted to ask because we'll we'll find something you'll pull at a thread and it'll be like oh that's interesting let's let's play with that but you can't do that with those kind of interviews you're absolutely right I mean I've got to be honest I don't even entertain those kind of interviews I actually had one recently and it was a bit of an upsetting one for me because it was a personal development coach I won't name them it's a very famous personal development coach like if you're sat thinking about personal development coaches you've probably just thought of his name right so his team got in contact and were like he'd like to come on the show and i was like i love it that'd be awesome like i'd i'd love to have him on the show absolutely and then about a week before the show was booked in for i got sent a contract that i had to sign as like a disclaimer as to what i was going to do with this content and all this kind of stuff what i could and couldn't do which was all right, fair enough. It's his brand, it's his image, I get that. But then the next document was a two-page PDF document of all of the questions that I could ask him, and I was not even allowed to deviate from the way the the questions were worded. So I rang up his team, and I was like, listen, uh, that's not how this podcast works. <laughs> like, it, I don't know if you've heard it before, but it's very conversational. We go down the rabbit hole. Like, I want to get to know this guy. Like, I want to ask my own questions. Oh, I'm sorry, they don't do those kind of interviews. And I was like, what are they afraid of? Like, this is like one of the biggest coaches in the industry. Like, surely this is something they could talk about for 24 hours straight, never mind 45 minutes, you know? It's like, uh, no, I'm really sorry. Like, we'll get them on the show, but you have to ask our questions. So I handed it back. I just said, look, I I thought about it long and hard. And I thought it'd be really good for people to see me associated with this person. Maybe I could just kind of word it so it sounds like they're my questions, even though it's not. And then I just kind of came to the conclusion of 12 years of just creating really authentic content and doing it the way that I thought other people would enjoy it and grow from it along with me. This doesn't feel like that. So I'm going to say no and hand it back. But I promise you, like the relationships I've built out of this with with up and comers, with people mid industry and people at the top table that, that everybody knows, it all comes down to people by people. And the ones that you vibe with are the ones that you're going to enjoy working with and the ones who do what that guy did and try and say, here's some questions you can ask me. And you know what? I promise you, I know exactly what's going to happen. 
our paths will cross again at some point and I will say, yeah, I wanted you on the show at that point and this was the scenario and I'm 99% likely to be told I didn't even know that that was the marketing team. Yeah, well, that's always the excuse though too, right? You got Of course. It, it comes down like at my company, you know, me and my business partner are the boss and anything that happens in our company is our fault, right? Yep, yep. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if it technically wasn't our fault, it's still our fault because we're in charge, right? And that's what you said before about delegating and stuff. Yes, you want to delegate, but you also want to have a little bit of oversight, right? And be able to steer the ship, and but you also got to be able to see where you're going. Yeah, 100%. You know, that kind of brought up an idea, and, and I mean, we haven't actually talked too much about World 2.1 yet, but... I wanted to kind of steer back a little bit because you were talking about all the relationships you built. And I noticed something with businesses that I've seen that have been struggling the hardest. Generally, they're coming out and they're going to say like a local community page on like Facebook or something. And a lot of these community pages and stuff kind of just popped up during COVID. They're like, save Washington County food restaurants or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. Save small business or something. And somebody's on there and they're like, hey, I'm trying to get help for this thing. And I'm like, this business has been down the street from a house for my entire life. I've never even heard of it. Like they have no relationships with the business community whatsoever. They don't have any other relationships around that I have seen before. No wonder they're having such a hard time because you got nobody to help support you, right? Our business relationships that we have with our business networking groups and people we've met through the podcast and, you know, through our email list and stuff like that. These are the people that keep our businesses afloat and keep our clients afloat. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know how many people that we've connected our clients to them or them to other people that we've met just because, you know, we have the network and that's been in some cases saved their business. Absolutely. In fact, in, in probably the, all of those cases. So it's, you know, I say business is a team sport and it doesn't matter how good you are as an individual superstar. A team of good players will always beat one lone superstar. So the reason I say that is that when you're partnering with people and it's about collaborations and networking and meeting people, I mean, like, let me let me tell you a secret, because this is only something that I found out within the last handful of years. So, you know, I'm all about leveling up and, and trying to get to that next level. And, and, and we've had the conversation, I think, previously about my background. And I know I have not come from, you know, I'm, I'm not old money. <laughs> there was no silver spoon. And if there was, we just sold it. So I've kind of had to learn my way. And actually, as you kind of enter a new financial bracket, you then need to figure out how to kind of earn like that. Like, I don't want to be like certain people who they make a load of money, lose a load of money, make a load of money, lose a load of money. Like, I want to be smarter than that. And the best way that I can do that is by networking with people that are a few steps further ahead on the ladder that have made this money. Some have made some mistakes. Some have done it right. Let's learn from both of them, right? And let's let's put this into practice. And the reason that that's such an important aspect of all of this is it's not about reinventing the wheel it's about think about those mom and pop businesses you were just talking about if they're networking with people like them not just in their local community but around the world businesses like them they're hearing that's a really clever idea did you hear about that one of us in london who did this and it's been having a big impact on them you know or that company in australia i was talking to do you know that they refer loads of business with the, an seo agency and a, and a social media marketing agency do we have any in this local area that we could do business with and suddenly now the three of you as businesses you know are saying well I'll introduce you to mine. You introduce me to yours. Let's all make some money together. Don't reinvent the wheel all the time. Like if you want to speak to a hundred thousand people, you can either figure out how to grow a mailing list of a hundred thousand people and do it through paid advertising and, and adverts and organic stuff in Facebook groups and downloadable content and all that kind of stuff. Or you can appear on two podcasts or a magazine that have 50,000 loyal subscribers each in the space of a day and now you've had a formal introduction to that network it's it's some powerful stuff it is and not just from a media standpoint but also from kind of a localization standpoint i know a lot of there's been a, a lot of murmuring in the technology world lately about things going local yes and you can see it in the shift of resources that places like google have started to put on localization yes so i think that COVID is going to exasperate that. So you're getting a, a two-pronged fork here where you're getting a whole bunch of businesses moving online where they're shipping stuff and, and all that. And then you're getting a whole bunch of local business that 
is also shipping, but they're shipping local or it's curbside pickup or it's takeout. And those two, you're going to get this, this kind of mixed breed of, you know, people saying, well, yeah, if I'm in a big city, it's not worth the time it takes to go try and figure out where I put my cell phone cord because I can order one and it'll be here in three hours. Absolutely. But if you're in a town like I live in and you want to order that cord from Amazon, it's still going to take two weeks. But I can have the local retailer put it in a bag and I can pay for it on their website and I can go pick it up at the front door where they can run it out to your car and, and pass it through the window to you, you know, and contactless payment. And so there's there's this kind of combination where it's going to be this, like, I think, large global shipping networks and sales networks. And then there's also going to be lots of small local networks pop up, almost like little local Amazons, right? Where they get all the stores together and 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 they can sell stuff like a network, right? But you can do that. Like that's the thing. It's like it's it's not difficult to achieve that. And I guess one of the things that I've learned even about my own business is when I speak to people around the world, I find out who they're partnered with and what types of businesses they're working with. And there's times I've gone Oh, do you know, I'd never even thought of that. Right. Okay. So who's that person in my local community? Who's that person in my circle? Um, who's that person I can get an introduction to? And I use the phrase a lot for that, you know, global credibility for domestic dominance. So that global credibility is about being seen with people like you, peers, best-selling authors, keynote speakers, people from your industry of substance that you can learn from and, and work with. But at the same time, making that work for you locally. So you go from being, you know, a small local business that only services a small community uh, and which all sounds very small, 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 you've not grown yet to internationally recognized for being one of the best people at what you do, but aren't this local community blessed that you only take care of them? It's It's taking a potential weakness and turning it into your strength. Absolutely. And, you know, there's some some pretty interesting examples when you start to get into some of the smaller business kind of cohorts and stuff that have happened during COVID. One example that's that's super interesting, and this comes from kind of business networking groups, is some places they call it power teams, where it's groups of people who work well together. Some people call it the, the golden goose right? Who is the golden goose for your business? So who is going to constantly either give you revenue or sales or referrals that you can also refer back to? They're your golden goose that keeps laying the golden eggs, right? And so some of those examples would be like a friend of mine has a catering company. And uh, we had mentioned this when we talked before. So they went to doing like dinner boxes that you can order the day before, and then you just come pick them up at the, at the catering place. Okay, cool. That's clever. Well, that was great for his business, but he's still not making hardly any margin because there's no margin in catering unless you do it in large scale. Right. So I'm like, well, how come you're not offering side dishes like rice and this and that, that you could just put in a container that costs you five cents that you can make three bucks, you know? And then what about sodas? Can you sell wine or liquor where you are? Right. Do you have a license for that? You know, what are these other things that you would sell with it? Can you do it with someone else? So let's say there's a winery that delivers in your area the winery can offer your dinner box with their wine delivery or the other way around. You can offer their wine delivery with yours and just use the same driver. You know, so there's all these ways that you can combine delivery and and combine products and get higher margin side product. And these are things that people have thought of because they're not in those networks. Right. There's no restaurant on this planet that's not trying to sell you a drink with your meal. Of course. And that's because the drink is the highest margin. Of course. Oh, oh, and the thing, let's use using the restaurant analogy then, you know, it's the look at all the takeaway places that are constantly trying to sell to you, leaflets through the door and all this kind of stuff. Not once have I seen them kind of bite the bullet and say, do you know what? Instead of trying to get them to come here once or twice a week, why don't we do a weekly meal plan where we'll go through Monday to Sunday what we're cooking or we'll do a Monday to Friday deal so that people who are working, it's like just pick up the food on the way home. You don't have to cook. It's all ready. You can do it for one person, two people, four people, whatever. And if you do it that way, you've got a number of pre-orders. You know what you're cooking. You know what you're getting ready in for what time you can do it in in bulk so the same as the catering you're going to be able to buy it on the cheap it's like we can always buy fish cheaper on a thursday because that's when the boat comes in so thursday we're doing a fish special to try and get people's business for longest stop trying to compete more for that small slice and flip it on its head okay how can i get this person to eat at our restaurant five nights a week instead of once a week 
Right. Or it's every week. So at my parents' house here in Nova Scotia, my dad makes pizza on it every Friday. It's Pizza Friday. Beautiful. There's no reason that every pizza shop in the world can't have a subscription service for Pizza Friday where they just automatically deduct from your credit card. They automatically bring it to your house at 530 every Friday or whatever time it is. You usually get it. They already know what you order. Right. It's in the computer. They already know where you are. They already got your card on file. There's no reason that this can't happen as a subscription model. 100 percent. And there's no, do you know what? You can complete, you can get an excitement for this and get really people pumped up about it. And, and nobody ever kind of thinks this through in this way, right? But let's give you a real world example. So, as a pizzeria, let's use a pizzeria. Why the hell not? Everyone's got a pizzeria, right? So, as a family owned pizzeria or whatever it is, you know, you're used to creating that nice ambiance, the wood stove pizzas. Now, no one can come to your restaurant. Okay, boohoo, what are you going to do? Well, you're going to sell them at their house because that's where they are, right? But what if you could create some excitement and get some free media for yourself in this? So using that phrase I used before, the global credibility for domestic dominance, what if you did a podcast where you interview other pizza chefs from around the world and explore and exchange different recipes? So today we're doing the Napoleon and this day we're doing this and do pizza recipes from around the world and do a virtual tour so that like, Every let's say your worst selling day is a Wednesday. You always sell pizzas on a Friday, Saturday, but on a Wednesday you're struggling or Tuesday. Well, Tuesday night is world pizza night. And every week you're going to do a new pizza recipe inspired by a chef that you've spoken to. They can listen to the podcast. They can hear the recipe and the flavors and why it all works together. And then they can come and get the pizza. The thing is you would get local press, regional press and possibly even national press from food magazines talking about this small mom and pop pizzeria that's doing something really clever, linking really well globally and really delivering something extra special to their local community. That press will fuel your business like you have no idea. And you know what's funny? I was having a conversation yesterday with Eric Dickman. He's a marketing professional for about 30 years and his episode actually isn't going to come out for about four weeks, but uh, we had scheduled yours in advance, which is why yours is going to come out like in a few days. Cool. We had this exact example. It wasn't a pizzeria, but I was like, you know what's missing? I wish there was a podcast from like the chef of my local restaurant or whatever. And he would, you know, interview, you know, the people around at the other restaurants. And and we were talking local. He could talk to each restaurant. He could be like, well, you know, how did you get into cooking and what made you want to open your restaurant? And why did you choose this kind of cuisine and walk us through one of your favorite recipes, you know, and, and, you know, you have the sizzle and the kitchen sound in the background and, and, you know, that kind of stuff. And I was like, man, this is what I want to listen to. But it doesn't exist, right? These are the gaps in media right now with that that podcast has. It's such an advantage to have a podcast versus any other person who walks in the in the room for another business that's yours, right? When I go out and I talk to a client, right, like a prospect for a client, and they say, and and they're like, oh, hey, how's it going? And I'm like, oh, it's great, you know. And and we're 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 kind of talking. They're like, well, how long have you been doing this? And I, I was like, oh, well, I've been doing this for a while. And then I started the Digital Marketing Masters podcast a couple of years ago, where I interview another person about digital marketing twice a week, you know, for the last two years. And they're just like immediately, they're they're, they're like, well, this guy knows everything about this topic. He's been talking to two people a week about it for two years. And you do learn so much through that process. That's the joy of it. Oh, absolutely. It's not just a, it's not a misperception. It's, it's, it, that's exactly what happens, right? In fact, it's, again, it's funny you mentioned the local aspect of the pizzeria, you know, link with your local businesses, link with universities and schools and, 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 you know, local football team. And okay, guys, if you win this game, hey, you got a game on Saturday. If you win the game, you know, you can all come down on World Pizza Tuesday. This week, we're going to be in Rome for a classic, whatever, you know, just really kind of have some fun with it. And people look at that. And I think a lot of the reasons that they don't is A, they haven't thought of it. And B, as soon as they do think of it, they get imposter syndrome. But at one point, Gordon Ramsay was just a sous chef. You know, if you ever if you ever see how he got famous, I mean, it was I think it was on a documentary series called Boiling Point where he was a junior chef. And I think it was Marco Pierre White that they were doing the documentary on. And it was about him and his Michelin stars. But Gordon kind of was the guy who was putting himself out there and giving his opinion and saying things and showing his kind of personality. 
and people people rose to that. So now look at him. I don't know. I don't. Does he ever cook anything that's not being recorded on TV? Like he's. Do you know what I mean? Like he's he's. There's, you know what he does now, and, and uh, you may not know this if you don't follow him. Uh, he's on TikTok. Oh, I've seen I've seen these where he's just mocking people's recipes. <laughs> yeah, he's mocking people's <laughs> shitty recipes on TikTok. It's hilarious. But that, but you see what I mean? Like, you, there's no reason that somebody listening to this can't do that. Why, you know, why can't your local pizzeria do that? Why can't your kebab place do that? Why can't your local flower shop become like the go-to person for that? You know, you've got things like the hotel inspector, and you've got that really loud American guy that's always shouting when he's doing bar rescue. And you know you got Gordon Ramsay, and you got all these kind of people. Why can't you be that person for your sector? Because at some point, someone's going to be, and then you're going to kick yourself because you're going to go, "Damn, I could have done that." And she's no better than me. She doesn't know anything more than me. I could have done that. They're going to be like, "Damn it, Phil! I listened to <laughs> yeah. your episode on that show, and I could have done this thing." You know what is funny is I don't know if you ever read the book by Jay Bear called Talk Triggers, but. Basically, a talk trigger is something that is a talking point that people will repeat about your business, but also is is not like a one off. It has to be something that's cost effective, repeatable. You can do it for every client. And basically, these are ways that businesses can generate media without having to use anything like advertising. That's clever. So the idea of, you know, your pizzeria interviewing all these international pizzerias, that's a talk trigger, right? Somebody will be like, oh, well, you know what? I'm going to go down to Jimmy's pizza on the corner and they go, why do you like Jimmy's pizza better than, you know, Domino's or whatever that's going to deliver it to your house? And they go, well, Jimmy knows the recipe of every pizza in the world on his podcast. Right. And because he's going to have he's having South African pizza this week and I'm going to go get me some. Definitely. See, but how awesome is that? It's so it's you can replicate it. You can. It's an exciting thing. People want to talk about it. It's it's something different. But actually, it's something so easy to do that. Look, let's not be around the bush here. If you own a restaurant, you're constantly trying to think of new recipes, new things that you can do to improve people. This is like somebody handing you the cheat codes and saying, "Go and ask other people to do the recipes for you," and on top of that, get a load of content and get credibility from doing so. It's like you're being praised for doing it the easy way. It's like that Bill Gates quote, isn't it? You know, he, he hires the laziest person to do the hardest job because they'll find the quickest way of doing it. <laughs> Maybe that's why I've been successful. Maybe I'm just like, I'm a lazy workaholic. Like I want to be as efficient as possible because I don't want to spend a second longer on something. So that's why I do this. It's like, I'll just ask you. <laughs> if you're a uh, person out there who wants to make a YouTube channel, I have the perfect idea for you. I came up with it yesterday. Everywhere you look, somebody will have reviews of products to tell you which one is better or more durable or whatever of each product. Nobody tells you which one's the fastest. That's true. You know what? I want to go buy a toaster. I want the fastest toaster there is, right? Because I don't I don't care if it's two minutes or, or four minutes or whatever to make my toast. I'd rather have it two minutes. So <laughs> as long as it's still toasted, I don't care. Do you know I could do that as well? Because it would be so, it would be the easiest thing to create loads of content with that. Your YouTube videos would only be 60 second long. Do 60 second review. That's right. Quick review for quick products. We've got this toaster. It does this. It's 30 seconds, bread and butter out the door. Where you go. And then that all of us done. So there's a series, there's a series of books in the coding world. Like if you're a computer programmer. And they're called like, well, they're, well, they all have like the programming language or whatever it is, the API or whatever mm. the reference is that they're talking about. Uh, and it's called for the impatient. Okay. So to be like C plus plus for the impatient. That's clever. And what it is, is all the fluff is taken out of the book and it's just like, do this, do this, do this, do this. This is how you do this. It's like the, um, was it? the, the idiot's guide series, the idiot guide to this. And it was just like, here's all just the bare bones, no fluff. Here it is. On the idiot, the idiot guide is like the opposite of these, right? It's like, we'll slowly gently walk you through how <laughs> this thing works. And the other one is just like, here's how you do this. Here's how you do this. And you better know the lingo before you start reading the book. Yeah. Otherwise it's going to be like a foreign language. Yeah. So, you know, kind of get away from the restaurants a bit. And, you know, I, I hate to say it, but actually the example that I just thought of also has a restaurant angle, but I was talking to my dad. He's a retired professor of corporate strategy 
And I asked him the other day, I was writing my newsletter and I was like, hey, you know what a good way to write my newsletter is going to be this week? I'm just going to ask my dad some. So I'll be like, hey, what do you think businesses should look look out for in 2021? Right. And he's like, well, they got to look for survival mode. Right. Because survival is the mother of invention. Right. Necessity is the mother of invention. So businesses can become more innovative. Their strategy should be taking a look at things like the value chain and the supply chain for their business. And his example was the lady down the road has a restaurant. She can't get packaging materials, right, for takeout because every restaurant has gone to takeaway now. All the ones that used to be just dine-in, they all have takeout now too. But then you've also got everybody's got to ship everything. So all those places are doing packaging. And all the packaging and all the material and everything, it's all eventually comes from paper, which basically comes from wood. And when he was looking at lumber the other day, it was three times the price it was last year. Wow. So now that means that the cost of building a new home, the lumber cost is going to triple on new home construction because everybody's eating takeout. And that's something that unless you follow step by step backward through the value chain, you don't understand what's going to happen. But if you have that knowledge, then you can come up with ideas of how you could do this. Right. So you could be like. Well, maybe if everybody's going to paper, I'm going to make, you know, my food in a way that I can package it with tinfoil or, you know, like, like how else can you, can you make the, maybe I can go buy dishes for super cheap and I can just give them to people with dishes with tinfoil over them. Like, I don't know. I don't have the, I don't have the answer, but you can do this with every part of your business and every kind of business. You just look at the value chain or the supply chain. And also the opposite direction is to look at your consumer behavior and say, how are consumers behaving differently than they used to. Podcasting is a perfect example, right? More than half of people now listen to podcasts at least once a month. That was like 25% last year. And it was something like 10% a few years before. Well, here's another example using that exact same philosophy, actually, but with a, with a different business model, because it's one I found out the other day. The coastal and resort hotels are doing pretty well because people are trying to get away as soon as they can. It's the inner city hotels that are doing really badly. And those hotels are built near exhibition centers. So what they're doing is they're flipping it and they're doing one of two things. They're either putting on live events, but they're virtual events, but the person is on stage live being recorded. So it's now much more about the recording and the, and the distribution of it. And then you do that as a live event, which you sell tickets for globally or they're using it as kind of like a TV studio space now where you turn up and record your promo stuff, your conversations, your interviews, but there is nobody in the audience. The content is to be used at a later date. But if you know that that's what inner city hotels are doing and you know the hotels that will have a budget and the ones that don't just because of who's in what chain and who does what, having enough inside knowledge to tell and pitch your thing to these people to, you know, pick up the phone, pick up the podcast, pick up the introduction to the, the MD of the hotel in this place and say, look, we've been speaking with other city center hotels globally. They're doing this and this. Are you doing either of those things? Great. You're doing that one. I specialize in helping getting bums on seats for virtual events. I know it's going to be the first time that you're heading into that world because you're not used to virtual events. How about we do something together? I'm just down the road or we do this globally or whatever your pitch is going to be. Because there's now a whole new audience for you to go and sell something to that wasn't there before because they've had to adapt. But as you quite rightly said, and as your dad said, that requires a whole new supply chain. So go and insert yourself into that supply chain because whilst you think you're winning getting a sale from them, they're also winning because they need that problem solved. And actually some of them won't even have realized that's a problem just yet. Right. Especially if you can solve the problem before they have it. Exactly. You know, you're talking about that. There's a big section of people who are really badly affected by COVID was event planners. You can't have big weddings and big events and business events and corporate events and birthday parties, Christmas parties, whatever, Hanukkah and yada, yada. So I see, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm making up the statistics based on what I've seen from people. I would say about eight out of 10 event planners have basically just shut down. They're like, there's nothing doing till next year. They're like, I'm just taking the year off or whatever. Right. That's so not true. I know. But then there's a couple of them who are like going full into online events. Yes. And they are doing fantastic. Some of them are doing better than they ever were before. 
And that's a logical reason why, because now instead of having to sell to people who are in a 60 minute drive of your catchment area, you've now got the whole world to sell to provided they're awake at that particular time. So yeah, the, the, there are more live events. I mean, t- t- I can speak from personal experience. I do a number of keynote speaking gigs each year. This year, I've been able to do comfortably double that number because events that, you know, one's in Australia and the next one's in Orlando, there's no way I'm ever going to get between them. I can now sleep and do one each day. Like, this is this is brilliant. Like, I'm loving this and it's all recorded. So, you know, you've not got the thing of, you know, damn, there's always two people speaking at the same time that you want to hear or two bands playing at the same time. Well, now it's evergreen. You can go back and you can rewatch it and you can rewind a bit if you, oh, I like that bit. What was that website you mentioned? I, I didn't write it down. Now you can go back. So, yeah, there's a lot of things happening right now. And if you haven't been trying to figure out, okay, how can we do all of the things that are important to us about our events, the happiness of our customers, the growth, the transformation, the engagement, how do we do that online? If you haven't been thinking that, maybe you shouldn't reopen in the new year. Yeah, it's going to be tough if you're not thinking that direction. And there's other things that you could be doing with online events and stuff too, and business events and corporate events. And like one example I hear a lot is, you know, oh, we're going to send everybody uh, Uber Eats gift card or something so that they can get a free lunch at our event. Well, if everyone is local, you can partner with one of these restaurants that are in trouble, right? And now you can have a delivery driver go to live, drop off everybody's food or a couple of them, depending upon, you know, how many people it is. And then you can do an online event. And man, you know who always gets the shaft when it comes to corporate events is the boss, manager, whatever person in charge of that team or department goes to their admin and says, we got to figure out a way to have a Christmas party on Zoom this year. And the admin's like, I don't fucking know anything about Zoom. <laughs> like, yeah, that's where that event planner person can step in. And they'd be, they'd be like, we know how to do Zoom. We know how to do Zoom rooms. We can do, you know, whatever the, the software is. And not only that, we can order your meals. We can give everybody a package like a Christmas gift. We can manage your white elephant gift giveaway or whatever it is. And we could get you a special guest from anywhere in the world that no longer has to worry about travel just before Christmas and can come on and do a talk about their movie or their album or their book or whatever. There's lo- like there's so many more opportunities now for sure. There is. And it's being able to identify that and not having that kind of victim mindset and say, oh, well, I can't do anything, you know, I'm, I'm screwed, whatever, right? I don't believe that. I think it's really just about looking at where the value is being created from consumer habits, from businesses, you know, or supply chain, if you have a supply chain, and just saying, where can I, just like you were saying, where can I insert myself into this process or where can I get ahead of these problems that i know people are going to have but they haven't thought of yet mm-hmm. i mean like I, I i'm doing it i have to confess there's an example exhibitions and events like i'm speaking with loads of businesses who their main source of income is when they sell at exhibitions and events that aren't actually even happening this year and it's like well do you sell on the exhibition stand or do you sell networking and it's always no no it's always the networking piece afterwards they're going for a beer they're doing all that kind of stuff it's like great I teach people how to do that bit digitally. And it's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Now I'm going to come over here. But that's not something they're looking for because they haven't even realized that's a problem yet. And what's that saying that they say? You know, whether you, whether you think you're right, whether you think you can or whether you think you can't, you're right. Something like that. You know what I mean? So it kind of fits this, doesn't it? It's like, if you think you're doomed, you're doomed. If you think I can adapt, I can be agile, I can partner with the right people and we can do this together. Yeah, you can. Yeah. And there's, you know, kind of that same idea as the old, I think it was, it was Ford that said it, that, you know, if, if he listened to people, they would tell him that they wanted a faster horse before he invented the automobile. Right. And uh, I think especially people in the digital world who have the experience with it, you know, event planners and stuff can go to virtual summits and online events and all these things that go along with them and, and sort of this mix of, in-person delivery, you know, maybe mailing out packets and that kind of stuff, plus online. I mean, there's a real merger of online, offline that can happen. And it's not like a bunch of vaccines are, are going to drop over the next three months and then suddenly there's trade shows again. No, we're not all getting like a mini one in our Christmas crackers. You pull it and just jab yourself in the arm yeah. and now you're all good to go again. It's going to be more like, you know, 
Some people will go, some people won't, some businesses will, some people's businesses. Lots of people won't. Like lots of people, I mean, I have to be honest, like I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a huge sports fan, right? And I, I go all over the world with my sports team. I'm nervous about going back to a stadium. Like I, I want to know that there's been proper precautions taken and that people are tested and that a lot of people are vaccinated and I'm vaccinated and I'm still going to wear a mask. You know, still going to be careful, still going to have hand sanitizer with me. You know, I've been through this illness, but I'm still scared to kind of go to these things. Now I love exhibitions, but like I'm going to think twice about where I go and where I stay and all this kind of stuff now. So a lot of my exhibitions for the next few years that I'm booking in already are virtual talks because it's like, well, even take our own live events. We do, you know, Billionaires in Boxers does live events and, you know, we, we call it the, the BIB Speakers Lounge and we bring together like a handful of people from each city to for like a, a presentation plus networking kind of meeting. It's like pitch to everybody, tell us who you are. Now let's do go around a circle and have some fun. Let's get to know each other. And it's a good way of doing business together. But even that, I mean, I've, I, we were supposed to have one early in the new year. I've pushed our first one to like quarter four of next year because I'm not sure what's going to happen yet. I think there's still going to be a lot of people waiting. But I think, you know, just like you said earlier, the it's really never going to be the same for live events. And uh, I think it's going to be a lot of smaller, tighter group events, small cohort type events, which could be a good thing. You know, I think honestly for at least for our business and probably yours also, it'll be a good thing because you'll be able to get fewer people who pay more to be in a smaller group, in a smaller room, in a tight space, you know, or, or not necessarily a tight space, but a tight group in, in a larger space. If it was me, this is this, if I was still in that sector, this would be the time that I'd be really pushing on virtual reality live events because I would be having small gigs, small concerts, small everything where you pay a premium to go and experience that and then selling virtual reality tickets on the mass globally for a discounted price where people who aren't in the room can feel like they're in the room. Like I'd be doing those two things hand in hand absolutely all day long. Yeah. And I mean, one of the things that our business had looked at doing and it was kind of on our schedule for for 2021 already was to do business kind of getaway events where we'd have everybody go to a location that we want to visit and we would have a group of eight to 12, you know, business owners and, and everybody would get together and we do that for three or four days kind of thing. You could bring your family, all that kind of stuff. I think those types of events are really going to come back hard. And instead of people going to things like conferences and. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. I think a lot of the conferences are going to be in for a wake up call if they think that vaccines are going to come out and it's just going to be back to 5,000 people in a hotel again. Yeah, it's really not. I mean, like I, I think back to some of the events I did in China and those things were like 200, 250,000 people over two days. Like you're not going to have that for a while. <laughs> and I'm not sure I want it to be honest. <laughs> I know that's just so many people. I mean, that's. Uh, that's a quarter of the people that live in the entire province I live in now. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a very successful exhibition where you are. No kidding. I, I'd be like, everybody in Nova Scotia, come to my hotel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it's pretty much it. Tell you what, you could get some serious sponsorship for that. Listen, quarter of the state, a quarter of the province are coming with us. That's right. So uh, do you want to be on the roster or not? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, Phil, if people want to reach out to you, what is the best way for them to get a hold of you? Billionairesinboxers.com is our website. That's a good way of looking for us. Billionaires in Boxers Global is our podcast. If you want to come and listen, I have a really unusual sounding surname, which is spelled P-E-L-U-C-H-A, which is Palucha. So if you Google Phil Palucha, I'm pretty sure I'm the only one in the world. So you will find all of my social media links. Come and say hi, however best suits you. Perfect. We'll put those in the show notes too. It'll be underneath your your podcast uh, player somewhere that back down in those little notes that no one ever reads. Yeah. Or you can find them at hookseo.com slash podcast. Phil, thanks for being on again. Our two-time guest. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. And, and we'll talk again soon. We might have to have a, another follow-up in 2021 to see how accurate we were. Yeah, exactly. The like 
2.2 and it was like uh the vaccine didn't help you know it's, <laughs> we get to april and it's like oh damn it's the same <laughs> no it sounds good brother if i do have to make a, a vaccine prediction i would say that the com- countries that have the largest vaccine adoption are going to have the quickest economic turnaround absolutely 110 percent. couldn't agree more i as somebody who suffered with it, I will be out with my arm out as soon as they give me the option to. I'm I'm looking forward to having a bit more protection to, against this thing. So, yeah, I highly, highly recommend people do that. Look, just stay safe. Take care of you. Take care of your loved ones. And, and you know, don't fall for the hype that idiots on social media are trying to convince you. Like, these people are trying to save your life. They're trying to help you. So don't bite the hand that feeds you. That's right. Talk to your medical professional. This is not medical or legal advice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't do it. Yeah, I'm not that Dr. Phil. So don't, <laughs> don't do it just because I told you. <laughs> All right, Phil, we'll, we'll talk again soon. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, brother. This has been Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. For notes and a transcript of this episode, go to hookseo.com forward slash podcast. Now stay tuned for a preview of our next episode of Digital Marketing Masters. Join us next week as we dive into more tips and ideas to grow your business. Digital Marketing Masters is brought to you by Hook SEO Digital Marketing. Our show is produced by Matthew Rouse and Scott Burson. Mixed and edited by Silent Outburst Productions. I'm your announcer, Daniel D. Craig. We would love to hear your thoughts. Please leave us an honest review with your podcast provider. Your reviews help us help more business leaders just like you.